The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. And speaking of incredible work, we have Dr. Ju Park, Assistant Scientist, Behavior and Society at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, who's here to break down the results of a study which posed the question to drug users, would you use supervised consumption sites? Hi, doctor. Hi, everyone. Hi. So, doctor, we're just wondering, can, can you take us through what the study was, was taking a look at and the results? Yes, uh, we surveyed uh, people who use opioids non-medically. Um, so this was conducted in the U.S in three locations, Baltimore City, Providence, and Boston. So the northeastern cities that have been really hard hit by the fentanyl epidemic, uh, which has caused a lot of overdose deaths. And uh, it was a really diverse sample of um, younger and and older adults, uh, racially diverse um, men and women. And across the three cities, we found that uh, people were very interested in using a a safer consumption space or a supervised injection facility, as they're sometimes called. Um, so 78% of people in Baltimore, 84% in Boston, and 68% in Providence were interested in using these spaces that didn't exist at the time uh, the study was conducted two years ago. Um, all three cities now have um, movements to try to push legislation to open these sites, but currently they're unavailable. So, they, Dr. Park, they are unavailable in those cities. What does yeah. the across across the states? What do, what do safe in, uh, consumption sites look like? Are there cities that currently employ them? Uh, and do you foresee more cities joining in and getting in on using these facilities as they should be? Yes. Yeah, so there is one um, unsanctioned uh, safe consumption space in San Francisco that has been running for a num- about three years now. Um, That paper um, was published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, I believe. And um, but overall, because of the federal climate um, and a lot of stigma against drug addiction, um, that although there have been grassroots movements in um, states like Maryland, which is where Baltimore um, is located, as well as New York, California, Philadelphia, Seattle. Um, all of these cities are considering them. They, there's a lot of um, advocacy around these types of spaces, um, but they haven't been successful yet. Okay, now, so for these folks in the cities that you conducted this study in, did you pose the question of where they have been using without having a safe consumption site available to them? Yes, and uh, the majority of people um, actually rely on public spaces, so streets, parks, um, parking um, spaces, abandoned buildings, um, public restrooms, etc. And so the idea with these types of spaces is that instead of um, encouraging people or allowing people to use in these public locations, um, they would have a a safer place to come to, um, take, bring the um, drugs purchased from other places um, and use under uh, supervision uh, where, you know, somebody's on standby to revive them with naloxone if they happen to overdose. 
Dr. Park, take us into the the issues behind so many people using in public. Um, there are a number of issues. So one is that it re- results in a lot of discarded uh, syringes and um, paraphernalia. Um, you might you know, pe- there might be people walking past who might see um, the drug use. Um, and then also for, in terms of the health of the people who are using drugs, um, they might be afraid of police harassment. And um, we know that that leads to rush drug use, which can increase the risk of not only overdose, but also um, risky practices like syringe sharing. Um, in, that increases uh, HIV transmission. No, doctor. So there are a number of problems. And um, another, sorry, another one would be in public restrooms. I know of people who, you, know, you lock the door and um, use drugs in the restroom, say at McDonald's. Um, there might not be somebody around to um, help you know, help you if you do overdose. So there are a number of problems um, with um, allowing people to use drugs in public places. That uh, that ties in really well to my next question because here in Edmonton at our safe consumption sites, the, the staff inside have the ability to administer uh, naloxone kits should somebody mm-hmm. begin to overdose. What does the distribution process of naloxone kits look like in the United States? Um, well, we have... So states vary a lot. So in Maryland, um, there has been a big push to provide naloxone to the public. And we have a standing order, which means that instead of going to a doctor to receive a naloxone prescription, uh, people can just go to a pharmacy and pick up a prescription. And um, most, you know, actually all insurance programs that I know of will um, pay for it. So the copay is zero or a dollar sometimes. Um, A lot of needle exchanges and harm reduction programs also offer free naloxone kits um, to people. But the coverage, I think we still got a long way to go in the US in terms of um, getting naloxone into the hands of people who really need it. And actually there hasn't been a nationwide survey and I, I know some folks who are um, working on doing that, but that's something that's really needed to understand uh, what proportion of people are even carrying naloxone. Dr. Park, you mentioned expanding to a nationwide study. Is that in the works? Oh, uh, I know of some people who are um, planning on it, but um, that's probably more than a year away. Probably a year away. I mean, does that frustrate you at all? Because it sounds like it's something that you want to tackle immediately and and, and really see safe consumption sites be be commonplace from from coast to coast in the United States. Yes. I mean, it's frustrating to me that um, safe consumption spaces haven't um, been offered. It's so pragmatic. And to me, it's the next step from a syringe exchange program where you're providing Um, sterile syringes and safer injection kits to folks and you know naturally they are going to go somewhere to use those drugs Um, why not under supervision where then risk of overdosing is minimal I mean safer consumption sites have been um, they've been operating in over 11 countries for over 30 years 
um, and no fatal overdoses have been documented at any of these sites. And when you talk about evidence, this is very high and highly evidence-based intervention. Um, it can prevent overdoses. It can prevent the transmission of HIV, hepatitis C, and other um, drug-related consequences. And it's a cost-saving uh, intervention, meaning um, the amount of money you put in, you will receive back um, in health benefits, health and social benefits. So, for example, um, we did some, our group did some modeling work in Baltimore and showed that if we invested um, $1.8 million, we would receive $7.8 million back annually um, in, you know, emergency room costs, ambulances, um, et cetera. So, and of course, um, HIV and hepatitis C averted. So it's a really, it's a common sense um, intervention. And I hope that other um, cities uh, willing to adopt it more rapidly. Dr. Park, can you explain the significance of, of speaking to the people who are directly affected by the survey results? Yeah, um, uh, when I talk to um, policymakers or people who work at health departments um, and the community at, uh, at large, it's pretty common for people to ask things like, oh, but would people who use drugs actually go to a place like that? Um, aren't they in a hur hurry to use up their drugs? Like, do they really care about their health? Um, aren't they placing themselves at risk? And these are pretty, um, to me, stigmatizing views that assume a lot of things about people who um, actively use drugs and or have addictions. And I think the reality is that um, a lot of people are willing to protect their own health. A lot of people don't want to die. They don't want to see their friends die. Um, and our study showed that there is very high support for these types of services. Dr. Park, thank you very much for sharing such powerful insight on this. Oh, thank you for having me.